Welcome to Seeing Red the Pod, episode 36, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today are Melody and April. Hey, ladies. How's it going? Good. Hey. Um, April, welcome back. And happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. It's a birthday it's a pod. Day. It's a birthday pod. <laughs> birthday pod. Can't complain about that. I even have decorations up. Yeah, you do. Got a, like a giant room. foil happy birthday in the back of your Zoom mm-hmm. room. Yep. It's backwards. You can't really see all of it, but we're trying here. We're doing the best we can around here. 2020 is almost over. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'm slightly concerned that 2020 wasn't always the problem, but we'll find out mm. soon enough. Um, do you guys know what I've been doing tonight? I have been, uh, we haven't put out anything about this. I think like on Patreon, we I sent an email uh, telling people, but tonight I've been stuffing envelopes for our winter solstice, seeing red Nebraska ornament. Ooh. And they're going in the mail. They're going to our patrons um, at the $10 subscriber and up. Nice. Mm-hmm. Patrons, I won't tell you what they are. Did you tell them what they are? They're these really amazing. I think it should be a surprise. Well, they're handmade ornaments from a local maker in Lincoln. Um, Obviously, radical feminist maker, of Mm -hmm. course. Uh, And she made them for our patrons. So pretty cool. They're awesome. Yeah. And also, like, Make It, Take It is the name of her business. And she does really cool crafts that you can, like, kits and things you can do where you don't have to be very crafty. They just send you all the supplies. And if you want to sew a monster or paint something or whatever, they just, they have all the supplies at the go. So it's a pretty cool little shop. Mm -hmm. So thank you, patrons. This year would be nothing without you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no doubt it's like keeping us going like mm-hmm. not even just like the money to keep us going but just like people are listening people like us <laughs> people care and i think we saw this you know 2020 was really the year when you could see the work of the last four years, all the resistance work that had been happening. You could really mm-hmm. see it come to fruition this year. And I think in 2021, it's going to be the year we really we really see some big movement because that infrastructure is there and our supporters are part of that. We are part of the infrastructure um, and we're really proud to be a part of it. And so, you know, we're going to be going strong and... Democrat in office at the presidential level or not, we're still going to be focused on ruining the day of Pete Ricketts every chance we get because this mm-hmm. is Nebraska and we have to care about Nebraska because nobody else does if we mm-hmm. don't, the people who live here. And he's term limited. We're going to have another governor. It cannot be another billionaire jerk off. Cannot I mean, be. literally, the billionaire that has put his hat in the race uh, made his money oh. from jerking off bulls. So. <laughs> She said bulls, by the way. It's like B-U-L-L-S, cow, male. But like, for real, that is how he made his clarification. <laughs> no, what I also want to say is that he actually ran before, but he pulled out of the race. <laughs> oh, he aborted I've been waiting that, uh... a month to use that joke. A month. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my god, I'm actually crying. <laughs> it's April. Your birthday looks well, good on you, girl. It looks good thank on you. you. Mm-hmm. I might have finished a bottle of wine. Of um, course. Yeah, I mean, it was already started, but I finished it. Um, so let's talk about how everybody. <laughs> I didn't drink the whole thing. I'm just saying. Just uh, half. Let's talk about how everybody's doing. Clearly, I'm doing great. <laughs> um, I have to tell you guys a funny story. So, as you all know, I've been quarantining. I'm almost done. Like, two more days. Oh, my God. Uh, it's been forever. Forever. And um, 
my sleep schedule is all out of whack. And so I'm trying to get back on track this week, like getting the alarm back set and stuff. But like, I can't fall asleep until midnight or later at night. It's just awful. And so um, a couple nights ago, I discovered that if I turned on like an NPR podcast while I was laying there, my brain would go, oh, this is important. And but actually my body would go and go to sleep. And it was perfect. Well, last night I couldn't find an, I did an NPR one, but it was too short and I didn't fall asleep. And I was like, dang it. So I was like, you know, I haven't listened to their last week's episode on with Bear Alexander. I'll listen to that. Thinking I will just fall asleep because it's a podcast. But no, I did not fall asleep because hey, <laughs> turns out you don't fall asleep when you're listening to your friends. And second, you don't fall asleep when it's good. Therefore, I did not fall asleep. And instead, I heard your wonderful podcast. And I'm a, I, I know it was my own fault that I missed it, that I'm a little sad. Because you talked all about reading and education, which is kind of my bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's totally your bag. And, you know, if people don't remember, we have a whole book list of books that we love mm-hmm. on our website at seeingrednebraska.com on the Fight Back tab. And like the big children's part- books for holiday gifts. Um, most of the book recommendations are from April. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Maybe the There's, children's ones. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, definitely the do- entire children's list is from April. <laughs> I did make a joke that that list is to indoctrinate, indoctrinate your children in all the best ways. Mm-hmm. So, the caring about I highly recommend it. <laughs> Justice for that. all. Yeah, oh my gosh. You know, Basic quality. human rights. <laughs> Bear Alexander was just incredible. I felt Mm -hmm. like, I felt like I was listening to somebody from like an old archived video from like organizers in the seventies and the sixties. Like he just, his, he's so lyrical and he's so deeply rooted in philosophies and books and mentors. And he just talked so much about pulling in wisdom from all the sources he could find it and all the different places that he has found uh, stuff that was useful in his own path. And then, you know, walking your own path. And I, he was so inspirational. Everyone should listen if you missed it. I like what he said. We need to disrupt his corruption. I just, it's on a note card on my desk. That's a good quote. It is. Totally support it. What have you been up to, Stephanie? I you know missing what? me. <laughs> I, I have been deeply missing you. Um I did something yesterday. I made a list of things that I was afraid of, and one of them was donating blood. I don't know what it is. Um, I've always been a little leery of needles, and my oldest has like a vaso. Um, dilation response where she will just pass out. And so I'm like, what if that happens to me? Anyway, um, Saturday morning, I went and donated blood for the first time ever. And it was super simple and it didn't hurt at all. You know what actually hurt? Then when they poke your finger to check your hemoglobin, that's what hurts. I'm like, like, can't you do some other part of my body than my poor little finger? Um, Anyway, super uh, super easy. And I am so proud of myself and I'm going to start donating blood like every 10 weeks. So, and they desperately need blood donors as it would turn out when we've got record numbers of people in hospitals, strange. So get out and donate some blood folks. That's what I did. And ate some local food. And I went and bought a bunch of Christmas presents from a local bookshop this morning. So, well, which local bookshop? I went to the Bookworm in Omaha. Mm, Nice. Where's that one? Is that one on uh, off Pacific? 84th and Pacific? Yeah. Give or take? Yes. Nice. I'm not very good with Omaha, (laughs) but it sounds sounds close. Maybe it's closer to like center, whatever street's the next big street from Pacific. Mm. Well, like there's a Hy-Vee and a Walgreens there. Everyone has Google on their phone. They'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the bookworm, Omaha. It's fantastic. And they're so nice. And uh, I was able to get presents for like 12 kids in our lives. So easy peasy. I love giving books. Me too. Melody, what have you been doing? Uh, We put up our 
Christmas tree. We went with the silver tree this year. We did not get a real one. And oh my gosh, I thought Marigold would be the problem, the crazy dog. And so we didn't yep. want to put out any of our ornaments. And I generally don't like clutter. And we the only ornaments we have are ones I really like, with the exception of these two boxes of ornaments I got really, really early on. We never put them up. So I told the kids they could put them up. They did because I didn't care if they broke. And no, it wasn't the dog. It was the toddler who smashed. Yep. And I didn't think they were smashable. I thought they were plastic. <laughs> But I think they were like plasticky, like they were somewhere between glass-like and plastic-like, and he just smashed them. So, so I don't know what we're gonna do. <laughs> and of course, the dog, she can jump as high as the goddamn tree. So, <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that? She's oh, a kangaroo. Gosh. She really is. If anybody's looking for a dog. Hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'll never give her away. But I do want you to give her away. her <laughs> I want to give her away, but I never would. She is part of our family, but oh, she is too much. She's too much. Okay, so today we have a special guest. Who are who? Tonight, we're taking Melody out of her usual role of interviewer and making her an interviewee. She's not only the co-host on this pod every week, but she's also one of the founders and current executive director of Nebraskans Against Gun Violence. We're so excited to have you on this capacity, Melody. How's it going? Well, I feel awkward and very uncomfortable. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> You're very good at this. You're very good at everything. It's true. Like you live on thrones of lies, but I'll take mm. it. <laughs> well, Melody, the reason we wanted to have you on the pod is because we know you've worked on a really long, um, all-encompassing project, a report on gun violence in Nebraska, which is a topic near and dear to our hearts. And um, we would like to have you tell us a little bit about why that work was started and um how that process went okay so we just published and you know for full transparency you are both on the board of nebraskans against gun violence so we're really all in this together (laughs) all in this together um but i really did spearhead the report and this I'm so excited about this. I just want to say there is nothing like this anywhere else in the country, what we have pulled together here in Nebraska. And we we wanted to do this work because a couple things happened around the same time. One, in Lincoln, we were part of a municipal task force in Lincoln and found that it was more politicized than it needed to be when thinking about gun violence at the data level and thinking about it as a public health issue, which of course we know we have a gun violence epidemic in this country. We know that we have um, people are dying unnecessarily and there are proven policy measures to curb the violence. We know all of that is true. What's really we found difficult when we were on the municipal task force was having those conversations that, how do we just wrestle with the data? How do we, how do we pull in the right data? And then when it was time to write that report, you know, it was a struggle because there were, you know, people wanted to put things in there like, of course we respect the second amendment. Well, no, like we're not putting that in a report about data. That is a, an opinion that is about feelings. That's not a fact. And not everybody respects the second amendment, right? And you, but you don't have to, to write a report about data. So the other thing that happened around the same time was this uh, Safe Tennessee, which is a state group in Tennessee. They put together a state report and they used, they kind of just took a lot of national reports and put them into a report and kind of highlighted where Tennessee was. And it was so cool. And I'd never seen anything like that come from a state group before. Usually 
only national groups publish big data. So, so we kind of took those two things and together. And what we took away that was so great about the Lincoln work was the breadth of data that exists. There's so much and it, and nobody really ever sits down and puts it all together. So we thought, well, let's look at all the data around the country and do that. Uh, so we did, and we used a bunch of different federal databases. We used state databases and we just dumped everything into a report. So if you want to know in the state of Nebraska, you want to get a good 360 look at firearms and their role in Nebraska in a data level, right? We pulled it all together for you. So if you so want to know, saying, yeah. So you're saying you started out with a problem. You were working on a safe storage task force mm -hmm. there was data you couldn't find and so even though maybe the task force didn't move forward you decided let's build the, the right. data report we that we need that we wish we had right that's, that's what incredible we did. that's what your local dollars with local organizations do that like nagv paid our executive director to get this program off the ground Mm -hmm. And she, Melody put in lots of hours and she hired interns who are interested in public health. And, um, oh my gosh, them. I have to tell you about our interns. We had three interns. One was from a university of public health in Indiana, Bloomington. And then the other one was from the university of Washington, I think in their public health program. Uh, maybe it was Oregon. She was in California because of the pandemic, but I can't remember where she lives when she's in school. Uh, and then we just did a big national net and we had people apply from all around the country. And we were able, and then we had a gal from Omaha who had just graduated with her master's from UNO in criminal justice. Uh, and she was had a focus on public health. So, and public policy. So we, I put together an internship for these three interns and we were able to get a state senator to come talk to them. We had the head of the, the doctor who, he's a doctor from Bryan Hospital and he's the head of all of the suicide work being done in Nebraska and uh, has really been the catalyst for the entire region on suicide reduction work. We brought in national leaders, uh, GVpedia, which is a database of all of the peer-reviewed research around uh, firearms. We brought, I mean, it was so, and it was so cool for me to be a part of it because I felt like I didn't really have a good reason to have uh, long, intimate conversations with some of these people. But when I was like, oh, let's come in, bring in, I'll, I'd like you to talk to the interns. We studied redlining. We looked at Omaha. You know, it just, it was awesome. I think it was a really good experience for them. Uh, it would be cool. It would be cool to, maybe we should bring one on for a different pod and I, I could interview and see how, you know, what they thought. But, uh, but that was the process that we went through this summer was really looking around the country, talking to all the experts we could get a hold of and finding out where data lives. So that's yeah. what we did with the interns this summer. So tell us, you know, we have the report available. We can link it in the show notes even. Um, but tell us what are like the five big takeaways and I'll help keep track of the number okay. <laughs> because we could talk forever. But what are five big takeaways of um, the report and what you and the team learned from this data? So number one, <laughs> no number one, <laughs> the number one method, number one, most lethal method in Nebraska for suicide are firearms. That's the number one method. If someone dies by suicide, over half the time they have used a firearm to end their life. And that is a really key wow. takeaway. That trend is, it's not unique to a certain year. That is just generally, and that tracks also with what happens around the country. 
that's an important takeaway for people to really sit with and wrestle with because when we think about suicide reduction messaging that we're getting in Nebraska, it almost never includes references about firearms. Yeah. So how can we really reduce suicide numbers if we're not talking about the elephant in the room, which is the gun? It is the gun. And if people don't have guns, they may try other methods, but other methods often give you a second chance. Yeah, they're less lethal. They're less lethal. And so, you know, we're hoping that when people really take a look and they sit with this data, one of the takeaways that people um, internalize is this need to talk about locking up guns and getting guns away from people who are going through a tough time. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of ways to do that. One of the simplest ways and I think this messaging really, especially in the veteran community, this messaging just, it needs to be stronger, is when you know that somebody's going through a tough time, can you hold on to their guns for them? If you have guns yourself, you have a gun safe, can you just hold their guns for a while? Just tell them like, hey man, I really love you and I'm really worried about you and I would like to hold your guns for a month. Will you please let me do that? Like you might save mm -hmm. someone's life. Yeah. If you don't have a gun safe, you may, you definitely know somebody that does. Try to figure can it I, out. Can I add something? Um, yeah. In my work, some of the things we've learned about suicide reduction is that sometimes people are afraid to directly ask, are you thinking of killing yourself? Because they're afraid that they're going to plant that seed and like by saying it, they're going to give someone the idea. But sure. research has shown that that is not true. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And that by saying that question directly, you really can save lives. And it sounds weird and it sounds awkward, but it's exactly the same with the gun. You've, you've got to ask. So that's number one. What's your number two takeaway? The number two takeaway is that thinking about the mortality overall of firearms, it is mostly white men, like the, by a large number, it is mostly white men. Um, and then the second biggest number are black men. And the th here, this is a little bit, this is a little bit wonky. So just bear with me, but like for white mortality, by firearm, it's a little bit higher than the percentage of them in the population, right? It's mostly white people um, and most of the gun deaths are white people. So this makes sense, but the number's a little higher than white people represent. And then in the black community, we have not very many black people in Nebraska, right? Like it's a right. very heavy majority white state, but the, the percentage of gun deaths that they represent is four times higher than their population. They're dying they at four okay. times the rate of what they represent in the population. So it is quite the crisis. Mm. And then when it comes to indigenous communities, Latino communities, um, there's the, the numbers are really small for gun deaths in those communities. Mm. Was there any indication on why that might be in Nebraska. I don't know. I was really surprised about that. I thought there would be, it would be a little more even-handed in the numbers, but really, I mean, the suicide by firearm was basically just non-existent and the homicide, you know, death by homicide with firearm, they're just, those numbers are really low in um, those other ethnic, ethnic sectors. Well, so we've got suicide as a big issue. We've got racial disparity in gun deaths mm -hmm. as a really big issue. What's the number three? So I would say the number three is we looked at an 11 year period for most of the 
like big data numbers because the CDC goes back, it, it starts at 2018. Um, and so we were, so we looked at from 2008 to 2018 and we lost 917 children in 11 years from guns. Wow. That's almost a thousand kids and it is all entirely preventable. It is always an adult's fault if a child is killed with a gun. Even if the child and, and explain is, that. Why? Can, can you explain repeat that? that? Yeah, it is it is always an adult's fault if a child dies by firearm, right? Always. Because children cannot access guns unless adults leave them out for them to access. And I mean, that's the main point, right? Like if guns were not accessible to children, they would not access them. If an adult doesn't, um, so whether or not a child shoots themselves, whether or not they are shot by another child or whether or not they are shot by an adult, it is always an adult's fault. Because they can't legally own it or get a hold of it unless someone's negligent. That's exactly right. So that is almost a thousand children. Wow. My um, my high school had 1,500 kids in it. So that was like two thirds of my high school when I was in high school, just gone. That's bigger than a lot of towns in Nebraska. Yeah, it's bigger than a lot of high schools in Nebraska. Right, <laughs> it is bigger than a lot of high schools in Nebraska. So, um, so we do have a problem. Uh, what's a little, so that's, and I, I just think that's something that we don't talk about, that, but it's really is a problem. We don't need to lose that many kids. All right. So number four. So number four, this was a little bit, uh, this was a little bit interesting. So there are, there are, if you sell guns as a business, that is called, you have to have a federal firearm license. And there's some data tracking that kind of goes along with that. What we looked back um, and about as far as we could go and we could get good data from 2019 to 2012. So eight years, okay? And the FFLs, so all of the businesses that have a license to sell guns, they lost 865 guns in eight years. Can I also point out that over the weekend, two gun stores were robbed in, was it Bellevue? Yeah. So and that will show up have, in, right. And there are no regulations on anti-theft steps that registered no. gun stores have to take like they're not required to have an alarm system or locks there's nothing which is insane yeah there there are not the only regulations that they have around gun thefts have to do with reporting right and so what did mm -hmm. they find where did these guns turn up did your report have some information on that no we don't know where those guns report they turn back up what we do know is that when we looked between 2019 and 2014, uh, 2016, the ATF just didn't have a report. So even though it's a six-year period with five years of data, uh, in Nebraska, in the five years, over 8,000 guns were found at Nebraska crime scenes, which is a lot. What? Say that again? Over 8,000 guns were found at Nebraska crime scenes. This is all guns, not just stolen guns? It's right? just all guns that were found at crime scenes believed to be part of a crime. Wow. Yeah. That's so a lot that of is guns and crime. Right. And one of the things that we're talking about in the public square these days is the role of law enforcement in society. Something we're not talking about, but I think we should be talking about is what 
what is society's responsibility to law enforcement? Right? Like, why are we asking people to be law enforcement in a society that has uncontrolled guns in the hands of people that are dangerous? And this is something we're not taking head on when we talk about, you know, there's a pretty strong political movement around back the blue, blue lives matter, whatever. And it usually stems from this very conservative uh, worldview and it's usually racist and all the things, right? But, But if you really do support law enforcement and you really do think that their humanity matters, you need to care about the fact we don't have gun control solutions that we're talking about in our state legislature, that we're not talking about solutions in the federal government. That is unconscionable that we ask our law enforcement to go face that many guns every day. It is it is a miracle. It is a miracle that we have uh, we don't have more dead cops in Nebraska. It's a miracle. Yeah. I don't want dead anybody, but how right. terrifying to be yeah. a cop with this kind of data. That's right. I would terrifying. agree. And I feel like there's things we could do. Absolutely. So there's things points? we can do. Are we up to five? Are we on number five now? I think we're on number five. So here. Is that another takeaway? This is perhaps the most shocking, the most shocking takeaway for me. So a lot of the other stuff, I kind of had a good sense, like that's give or take about how the numbers would turn out. I went to start looking at domestic violence data in Nebraska. Mm. And intersects with gun violence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the Nebraska Crime Commission, they report out the domestic violence data. So I went to the Nebraska Crime Commission and I pulled their reports and I found reports between 2016 and 2019. So that's all fine. Um, It was, I couldn't use the data. There are over that period of time, 52 law enforcement agencies just didn't report anything. Are they required to? They are required. They have been required since 1998. They have been required to give a monthly, every month, they are required to send their data to the Nebraska Crime Commission, and then the Nebraska Crime Commission is required to publish an annual report. On Um, domestic violence. Exactly. And And 52 agencies just... Yeah, and and if it was 52 agencies that represent really small populations, which we certainly have, we have a lot of sheriffs around the state, and they oversee territories which are statistically they would not impact the numbers very much right like your big urban centers across the state that's where your numbers are really coming from so omaha lincoln grand island um the big the big cities in uh like in sarpy county like bellevue papillion right north platte like those really your big ones but you know who doesn't report omaha police department the biggest city in the state and the Douglas County Sheriff's Department, which is the county that Omaha is in, hmm. sometimes reports. So sometimes they report. So are we saying that like, so there's like some sort of legal requirement for them to report? Does mm-hmm. this, are there no teeth to this legal requirement? Like nothing happens if you don't report? You know, I don't know. That is something I plan to find out in 2021. <laughs> That is something I would I like to know. I think we'd all like to know that. Yeah. I want to I wanna know why. And so basically, if Omaha does not report, and they are like half the population of the whole darn state lives in Omaha, then your data is junk. You can't mm-hmm. draw any conclusions about the state. Yeah. All your data is regional. You can't. Yeah. It's just junk. You can't use it because you're missing the biggest city in the state. So you can't do, and I knew this, I knew something was weird because when I have looked at domestic violence data 
at national think tanks and they break it out by state, there's always a disclaimer that the Nebraska data is not complete. Mm. And I couldn't figure out what that meant, why we would be seeing that don't, so consistently. And then I figured it out and I was so shocked. I was don't so our shocked. legislators, our legislators need that information in order to make good decisions about the safety of Nebraska citizens. And you'd think they'd want to know it. Yeah, well, they're going to know that we're missing this data. <laughs> so that's what they can know. And we know at the federal level, at the federal level last year, what we saw was the Violence Against Women Act lapsed. Congress did not renew it. So I think we're seeing a trend, and we're seeing it in Nebraska as well, that violence against women is not a political priority. That is just my opinion on that. But based on what I saw at the federal level when they let the Violence Against Women Act expire, and then mm-hmm. when I look at Nebraska data and I see that our law enforcement, 52 agencies decided not to report domestic violence incidents. They which just chose really, not to. What? Which is really ridiculous because especially when it comes to guns we know we don't have to have specific state data to know and extrapolate from other states that um guns are frequently if not almost always used in domestic violence situations to if not kill or hurt to at least intimidate Mm -hmm. and scare women into not leaving into not reporting into keeping their children and this is just completely unacceptable unacceptable i also find it weird if you think about it that law enforcement agencies are predominantly ran and staffed by men and domestic violence um, especially involving guns is predominantly executed by men against women Mm -hmm. and i think it's pretty gross it's gross Absolutely, it's gross. Okay, Melody, I have an important question. Okay. How can our state lawmakers use this report to create legislation that can help Nebraskans going forward? So the first thing Nebraska lawmakers can do, their first takeaway from the report is a very clear understanding that responsible, and I'm gonna put this in quotes, Gun owners break the law. Mm. Okay. So, So this idea that we don't need to do anything and we only need to go after criminals, right? Like is that is not going to lower our gun deaths in Nebraska. When we think about lowering gun deaths in Nebraska, there are two buckets that those gun deaths by and large fall into. If you wanna see lower death numbers, you need to study the black homicide problem. And actually in Omaha, there's so much great municipal work. They have halved the numbers in the last couple of years. And it's been about a three year trend that the numbers have been cut in half. Um, So we believe that in future reports that that disparity should get lower. Um, in the black community in Nebraska. So I believe that. I think that if we just continue on, we continue to allow um, municipal governments to have the tools that they need, stop any sort of firearm preemption efforts that would mean the repeal of local ordinances, right? Like as long as we can allow cities to mind their business and really take a focus I think that will be good for those numbers. And the other thing is we have a suicide problem. Yeah. We have a firearm, specifically a firearm suicide problem, and we need mm-hmm. to tackle that head on. And so we need bills like, um, you know, Senator Moorfeld had brought a um, like. protection order. Yeah, he brought a protection order bill that would allow law enforcement to have tools to temporarily disarm people in crisis. Maybe you don't, there's maybe there are nitty gritty pieces of that bill that um, you might not like. Then you need to come to the table 
and help be a part of the solution making process because we have a firearm suicide problem. It is something we can do. There are all kinds of creative ideas out there that I probably have not even thought of. One thing I learned in the Lincoln Task Force is there is a change um, that lets people store their guns there, no questions asked for a temporary period of time. Right? Like, what if the gun industry would stand up and say, hey, we care about firearm suicide. We have solutions at the table. We cannot have a conversation where it is we do nothing because freedom and anyone who wants to do something hates our freedom. Mm -hmm. Because actually, it's white men in their 20s and their 50s that are dying needlessly. They're not being given a second chance when they deserve a second chance. Here, here. And my interest in protecting people wouldn't be to get rid of your freedom. It would be because, or because I don't love freedom. It would be because I love you. <laughs> I love my uncle. I love my grandfather. I love my 17-year-old nephew. All of these things. All of these people. And even if and I don't. And not just mine, but yours. <laughs> even if I don't love them. Even if they, I hate they them. Don't deserve even, even if I hate your uncle. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think about it too from a feminist lens. You know who has to clean up after men die in the family? Women. It hurts women and children because the father figures are not there. Mm -hmm. um, men make more money. They mm -hmm. are almost always the breadwinner. So now you have a family in financial insecurity. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of things. There's all the... Uh, it's expensive to bury someone, just even something as simple as that. How are you going to send your kids to college if one of the biggest buckets of firearm suicide, which it is, is men in their 50s, then we can really extrapolate that probably a good chunk of those men have children that are either at or about to be in college age status. Who's going to help those women send their kids to college? Who? So this is... You know, men, it's a men's issue for sure, but it's a women's issue also. It's a children's issue. It's a it, veteran's issue. It's a veteran's issue. It you know what? destroys I'll, families. I will interject there and tell you that I've had uh, two significant um, people in my life who've uh, taken their own lives with firearms. They were both um, men who were in their 20s who had served in the armed forces. And I guarantee that, I mean, I can't know for sure, but I um, knew them both very well. And I believe that it was a temporary thing that they used a permanent fix for. And had there been um, safe storage laws, things might've been different. Um, they might not have been, but you know, I'm guessing it wouldn't, might not have been all the time. And we as a community have a responsibility to do something um, to help to help everyone in this avenue. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything, anything specific, anything else specific besides like a, like you said, a protection order um, or red flag law? What else could the legislature do for us? Well, we need to really look at why we don't have domestic violence data in our state. That should be very easy to solve. And maybe plugging that gap with a law that requires and has some sort of... Well... There already is a law that requires it, but maybe but, it needs some teeth. Maybe there's yeah. a funding tooth, right? Mm -hmm. Like that could be something, like if you're not sending your data, you're not going to be funded. You're going to lose some state funding. You are yeah. mandated to pass your data up. You're mandated. Mm -hmm. um, something that's missing. So we didn't talk about this in the report, but there is data missing that I couldn't figure out how to get. And a big one is how, and this is a national problem, but we could solve it in Nebraska. How many guns go missing in our state? Mm. How many times are guns lost or stolen? We know about when it happens at an FFL because there is some federal reporting requirements. We don't know if it happens out of your car if a gun was stolen out of your car. We just don't know how often that happens. And I actually reached out to a lot of police departments around the state. I, I reached out to the top 20 biggest cities. And 
it was a mixed bag on getting the data back. And the data that I got back was not great because they would say, oh, these were really low. The numbers would be really low. And then I would kind of cross check in the news and go, well, yeah, but I see this big gun theft that happened in that town or near that town, but the county handled it. So, so it really has to happen at the state where you get that comprehensive data because there's so many agencies that might have handled it. If it happened at UNL, um, maybe it was that police department, right? Maybe it was the Lincoln Police Department. Maybe it was Lancaster County. Maybe it was, you know, I don't know. But so it has to be at the state if we want more and different data. And if lawmakers want more data, they're going to have to mandate it and they're going to have to tie funding strings to get it because a lot of our law enforcement is not, they're not following the law right now. Yeah. I get, and I mean, Omaha Police Department, just to wrap it all up in a bow, not only is the Omaha Police Department not following the law and submitting their data on domestic violence multiple years in a row, it's not like a whoopsie. It's just, just their policy. They're not doing it. They just recently killed Kenneth Jones for not following directions. <laughs> so I just want to put that out there. Mm. with a gun they killed him I want to know I want the data and I want lawmakers to have the data because it's really frustrating if you watch the legislature and they're always there's so much anecdotal stuff they talk about well my cop is nice my school is fine my neighborhood is great everyone in my town takes care of each other I don't care about your stories. I mean, your stories are nice, but they're not data. They don't help us make informed decisions. We need the numbers in order to go, oh, it really is good. Or, oh, we have a big problem. You know what we didn't find in the numbers? Rampant homicide um, and rampant like gun crimes that would lead one to the conclusion that we need to loosen our gun laws. Like that we're not safe and we need to protect Mm -hmm. ourselves. You're not finding that. I'm not finding that. The only place that we have a significant homicide problem is in, um, we have a lot of black homicide. So like black people are not safe from guns, from others, people killing them. And white people are dying by suicide primarily by firearm suicide so those are the two problems those are the two problems we are not seeing we're not seeing in the data anything that would lead a reasonable person to think oh you know maybe we just should loosen our laws maybe we need to repeal a bunch of policy because people so just aren't free and it's so dangerous. There's so many people that are like being killed in their beds by burglars. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing. It's not happening. Right. Good. I'd like to put that boogeyman to rest. Melody, where can we find this report? You can find it. It's right on the homepage. There's a big giant button at NAGV.org. And will you put it in the show notes for us I as well? Will. I will put and it in the show notes. And what can folks expect in the future um, with the gun report? So we are getting ready to bring back our monthly organizational meetings. And now that things are on Zoom, I think it's going to be easier to keep them going. We tried to rotate between cities and it was very difficult. And So now I think that committees can be on Zoom. We can have more robust state work. And what you can expect from... Nebraskans Against Gun Violence is a real buildup of people around the state looking at using the report and working forward. So we need to reach out to every single law enforcement agency that doesn't report and start asking that they report. We need to start building a push in every community where that's happening. Those people need to know. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing we want to do. The other thing that we're going to be doing is looking at 
there was a really great piece of policy passed in 2019 that regulates school resource officers. So police officers in the schools. Every school district around the country is supposed to file a plan with the state of how they will regulate their school resource officer program. And, or they can use the default plan that exists that the state has. Based on what we see with domestic violence data, it is not, I, I do not believe that this is probably happening statewide. And so that will be our other big initiative to make sure um, that policy that we championed, which is the regulation of school resource officers. Ultimately, we'd like to see them out of the schools, but if they're in the schools, then of course they need to be regulated and have some sort of accountability structure. So that those are the two pushes. We wanna see all that DV data and we wanna protect what we have. We don't wanna loosen any kind of policies. And then we want to make sure that school resource officers are are held accountable and that our children are safe at schools all across the state. And so those are really, that's the three prongs that we'll be focusing on. And people should sign up. If you sign up on our website, there's buttons all over the darn thing to sign up, put your email in any one of them and you'll end up on the email list. And we expect that meetings will kick back on in January and you can be part of any of those initiatives. You know, I learned something new every time you chat about this report, Melody, and I've even read it. <laughs> what did you learn that was new? Um, I did not realize how many agencies were not reporting, and that I did not realize that there was a mandate that they should. So, I mean, I knew I'd, I'd focus mostly on the fact that Omaha wasn't reporting, and I have a general mm -hmm. disdain for Omaha. Not the whole place, but... <laughs> Never mind. This isn't going to work out well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Melody. You were amazing. No need to be nervous. You're right. a great interviewee. Always. Oh, and thanks. Your work as executive director is important, and we're glad you're here in Nebraska. Yes. So grateful. Now, you can get off Zoom, and Stephanie and I will talk crap about you. Bye. Mm -hmm. Excellent. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good night, ladies. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.